Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And these episodes are a little bit different because we are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means that means we're not in the same room. We're using our Zoom. So the audio might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. Uh, and I am so excited uh, about our guest here with us today. Um, M. Weinstein, they, them pronouns, is a writer and director for film, theater, and television. M has made two award-winning short films that have played at festivals worldwide. Candace won the best film at the American Pavilion at the Cannes Film Festival. And in France, Michelle is a man's name, won the Grand Jury Award at Outfest. While getting their MFA at Yale School of Drama, M directed numerous plays such as the first workshop production of Slave Play by Jeremy O. Harris. M is currently developing an hour-long pilot for Imagine Entertainment and is a writer for Amazon's A League of Their Own series. M, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so amazing to be here. Ah, thank so you. Fun. Thank you. I'm so happy that we were able to make this work. How are you Me doing? Too. I'm okay. I've been I've been uh, on Zoom for a long time today, but this mm. this one uh, I, I was looking forward to for for a couple of weeks. So I'm just I'm just so happy to be here. Awesome. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I um also was on Zoom a lot today, but excited about tonight. Um, I also had a revision on my top surgery last week. And so I'm like achy and sore. And so, um, but I'm moving along. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's hard when you have to like, remember that you can't pick up things and like, you know, have to actually stop and rest. Um, Yeah. It was, it's a challenge. And I also didn't realize typing, having my arms in front of me is like, is a thing. And I was like, oh, I have to really be mindful of that. Um, you're like having your computer low and like, I don't know, like in my yeah. lap, like this. in your lap, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, completely. I feel like I, I have like a yoga block behind me that I am addicted to because um, I was my back, you know, we just sit and stare at screens all day and, and don't, and don't stretch. So I trying to try to be better about it. Yeah, that's smart. I should think about doing something with that. I have, I have a post-it right behind my computer that is supposed to remind me to do push-ups and squats. Um, and I just stare at it and I'm like, that's a cute post-it. That's a cute <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's winter. We're all hibernating and not moving very much, or at least that's, that's where I am right now. I'm just yeah. A bear in my cave. Yeah. The other day I looked at my phone's like pedometer and it was like, it said like 26 steps. And I was like, that is amazing <laughs> for the whole day. <laughs> I know I used to, I used to like always be over 10,000 steps because I lived in New York and I would just like take the subway and walk around. And I was, I never even tried to get it in. And now I look at it and I'm like, wow, yeah, 50 steps today. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> rough. Is different. It is rough. It is rough. <laughs> um, 
All right. So we all have multiple coming out stories. And so I would love to know if you would like to share one with us tonight, right now. Yes. Thank you. Um, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I always, I always say I never came out. Like when people are like, tell me about your coming out story. I'm like, well, I never came out because I sort of, my parents always knew I was queer um, from the time I was really little. And it was sort of assumed by so many people around me. So um, my, the coming out story I was, I was thinking about was more about like how I came out to myself and like how I realized I was queer, even though it kind of seemed like the world around me thought I was queer much earlier, um, probably from the time I was like two or three years old, to be super honest, uh, according to my mother. Um, but yeah, I think I always uh, kind of bristled at, at people assuming I was queer because I was uh, a tomboy or, you know, presented, um, masculinely, um, wore boys clothes. Uh, you know, people used he, him, him pronouns a lot when I was a kid, um, by accident, uh, even though I kind of liked it. Um, and, uh, and I felt like that was really separate from my sexuality. Um, and I was a little bit of a late bloomer, um, sort of in discovering my sexuality or in thinking about my sexuality. And I think part of that was because I didn't want to be defined by like how my gender presentation had been seen. And I was like, why, let me figure this out for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I came out in, in a, in a couple of ways. Um, I grew up in New York city, uh, I went to high school in like the the aughts period of the the two thousand the the end of the the first decade of the two thousands, uh, which was um, a better time than 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 had existed before uh, as a queer teenager. But it's gotten so much better in the ten years since that I sort of I teach high school students sometimes, and I'm kind of baffled at the world in which they uh, they can come out into. Um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, I, I was, I was doing some, some digging and, and thinking about this this morning and was thinking about the first, the first crush I had on a girl, which was in uh, ninth grade. Um, and uh, that was kind of a life defining world shifting moment for me, um, even though my coming out sort of came in two steps, but I won't, I won't say her name, though if she ever listens to this podcast, she'll know exactly who she is. <laughs> um, and we, we got coffee recently, uh, but I didn't tell her that I had a crush on her in ninth grade because the story mm. doesn't have a, a, a particularly romantic ending. But um, I, I was, I, we had just moved to New York City and I was the super awkward kid who I was obsessed with Star Wars. Um, I didn't dress for, I was obsessed with Star Wars and um, communism. I thought that like, those were the two coolest things. I had like read Marx and like, all I wanted to talk about was like Marx and like the Empire Strikes Back. And uh, in this like New York City private school that I was suddenly thrown into with like way more cultured kids, um, that was not really like a thing most people wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, I had this other love, um, which, uh, you know, I sort of didn't front foot with, uh, which was I just loved old movies um, from the like 30s and 40s in particular. Uh, another thing that like most high school students don't don't want to talk about or didn't at the time. Maybe they do now. Um, and I met this girl um, who also loved old movies. 
she wasn't that into like Star Wars or communism, but um, she loved movies from the from the 30s and 40s. And um, I just, I mean, I thought she was super beautiful and glamorous. And she lived in this apartment on the Upper East Side that had like a zebra rug uh, in the foyer. Um, that was like a real zebra. Um, and she was like crazy about Gone with the Wind, which was a movie that I didn't really like. Um, and also, you know, it, it has, is a very problematic film, but she just thought it was the most romantic movie of all time. And that, you know, all she ever wanted was a romance like uh, Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. Um, and that was just her like dream of what, of what love could be. And I, uh, I just, I, I was like, okay, like that's, that's who I have to be. I have to be Clark Gable. Um, and I like watched the movie dozens of times and I bought her a poster uh, with, of the movie and like signed it like to Scarlet from Rhett. And I wrote her like all these letters. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a really hard ninth grade year and ended up switching schools and um she it was definitely like a little too much for her but it made me realize even though I don't think I put it uh in sexual terms to myself then um it was purely in the terms of gone with the wind uh unfortunately um that I that that is the that that is the person I I wanted to be and the person I wanted to be with um uh it totally freaked her out um and uh, you know, I probably for good reason, um, you know, if you have a teenager, like sending you handwritten letters, signed Clark Gable, um, no matter how much you love the movie, you're just a little bit like what, what's going on. Um, but it, it, it kind of, it opened, it both opened up my world and also, you know, um, made me feel more alone. Cause she obviously was not interested. I was very glad to, to find out like, when I was in college that she, that she's gay. Um, mm. I was like, Oh, great. Like I, I wasn't entirely wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, it would have been, it would have been, my whole life would have been different if, you know, she had really, really responded to those letters. And when we were 14, I have like a part two to my coming out story, but it, it's just fast forwarded one year and is also very nerdy. Um, yeah, so part two of my coming out story, which is like just as uh, totally nerdy, it takes place a year later when I'm 15 years old. I'm at a new school in love with another one of my best friends who is not interested. Um, but I'm sort of like, even though I, I've like kind of realized that my gender identity is not in line with the norm, uh, I've also realized that like I'm attracted to women. I still haven't like accepted that I'm queer. Um, and it's still something that I feel like quite a lot of shame about um, and uh, and very much like don't acknowledge it to myself, um, even though like every day after school, I go over to my friend's house and we like watch the L word and mm. like smoke weed and not talk uh, and don't talk about it. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I was very strangely on spring break. I was visiting uh, my dad and grandmother in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, I was reading uh, the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. I was like really into Gertrude Stein. Uh, for some reason, I had not accepted that I was gay, but I was uh, <laughs> obsessed with Gertrude Stein. Um, and I don't know what it was in the book 
but I suddenly like felt this like immense amount of um, excitement about being queer and a sort of like pride in the ability to sort of look outside and be attracted to women and I remember we went to the mall I think my sister like I don't know what she I think she was like getting her ears pierced or something at Claire's probably um and I just remember for the first time like looking at women and being like oh this is like this cool superpower where I can like I'm sure it was very creepy I was just like ogling women at the mall but it felt like this I don't know little paradigm shift where I was like I'm okay with being queer and it's actually really fun and it's a secret like no one can know what I'm thinking and I can be thinking all of these things in public around my family around um strangers and it can just feel um weirdly like sexy and empowering if that makes sense um yeah and I think from then on like I didn't I didn't necessarily come out as much as I just started to like talk about being queer um and sort of just casually accept it and it sort of trickled into my friendships and into my uh my family without me ever kind of sitting down and and opening up about it um which is an immense privilege. Um, and I, I grew up around a lot of queer people. Uh, I grew up, my mom, uh, for the most part, raised me and we saw my dad um, once or twice, uh, or once a month um, and then in the summers and holidays. But um, I, I think I was, I was very lucky to not, uh, to, 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 be in a in an environment that was full of queer people and and that was very accepting of me in which I didn't have to reveal any anything that was particularly shocking to them um yeah thanks for sharing um I have a lot of questions for you are you ready (laughs) yes I I love questions (laughs) um I I'm trying to like figure out how, which, where I want to start. Um, I, I think that it's so interesting that everyone around you kind of had the sense of your queerness before you did. And so do you think that that kind of, how do you think that that impacted like interactions with you like later in life when you started to um, casually talk about your identities with, with your family and, and have them just like gracefully accept it? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that it, it it was sort of like a fuck you in a way to them of being like, well, you always, I like, I overheard you talking to your friends about how you thought I was gay when I was in second grade. So, you know, I'm just going to casually talk about how I'm gay since you've like floated this topic. I mean, I overheard, I have overheard my family talking about it in different times throughout my life. And I think, you know, I think in a way, um, at, cer- at certain times it, it bothered me because I, it, even though um, there was like an acceptance around it, there was also a negative connotation hmm. to it. Um, just, I think, uh, especially in like being a lesbian, there's just like so much like cultural um 
stigmas around lesbians being unattractive and unwanted and undesirable and, um, you know, a failure. Um, I also think that like, there's so much um, stuff around like gender dysmorphia and also just like puberty. (laughs) And, um, and it was very hard for me. I think I like gained a lot of weight when I hit puberty and suddenly like had a very feminine not very feminine I don't even know what that means but like Mm -hmm. I had a body that that like was read as very female um and and not like in a good way like female but like overweight female but not attractive like female but um subpar a sort of failure of, of femininity. And so in a way, like, I think having internalized like all of that, like outward misogyny and then like dealing with my own gender dysmorphia, which I didn't really know I was experience at the, experiencing at the time. I was like, well, I don't want to be gay because then I'm, I'm just admitting that I'm a failure. Um, and even though my family has always said this, like, I don't, I don't want to be a failure to society. Um, and it's really funny, like one of my favorite queer theory articles, uh, queer theory books, sorry, uh, but, but in particular, uh, an essay in this book is by Jack Halberstam and it's called The Queer Art of Failure. And it's about like embracing failure as an inherently queer subject mm. and um, actually like uh, sort of rewiring um, how we think about failure um, because, you know, queerness to society at large has always and in a way will always be seen as a failure a failure to procreate a failure to be normal um and how can we actually uh instead of instead of like trying to um you know say we're not a failure you know we're just as good as you are say well maybe we are a failure and maybe like that's even better and that's like our own little stake in the world but anyway I digress um I think I think, yeah, I mean, I think coming out often has so much to do, not just with like one's, you know, sexual desire or identity, but with like how all of the ways in which the world has taught you that, um, that you are not good enough. And I think especially being assigned female at birth, like that's just, it's so hard to like rip apart what of that is misogyny and what of that is, um, you know, inherited uh body hatred um and what if it is actually like an identity um separate from that um and yeah it's a thing I still think about a lot but I think uh if you had asked me in high school like what 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 I dreamed of being I probably would have just said like skinny Mm. um and hot like (laughs) more than like uh more than anything because that was that was the most legible way in which I I was a failure uh at the time to to my my closest circle but really it was it was about it was not about that at all um yeah yeah I I'm thinking about just like um a couple of things that you said are really resonating right now of like the the negative connotation of the word and or identity of lesbian. Um, Like that's one thing that I'm really thinking about. And the other one is um, like 
once puberty happened to me and my body was changing in ways that felt like a betrayal to who I was, um, was just so unnerving. And it definitely, like, I don't know that I've ever thought of it in the way of like, of it being a failure. Like, I think maybe I was embodying like what it means when you fail, but I don't know that I ever put Mm -hmm. the word to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for me, like, I always knew that I was a queer person from like day one, (laughs) you know, like Mm. first, first conscious thoughts was like, you're so queer. Um, (laughs) But I always thought it was only like sexual orientation wise. I didn't, Mm. I didn't know about gender identity. And so every, you know, and so now looking back, it's always me, like, like you're saying, like parsing apart, like, what's this, what is, what was causing this? Was it my sexual orientation? Was it my gender identity? Was it society? Was it misogyny? Was it the, you know, like all of the things. Yeah. It's so much to undo. And I, um, I mean, especially as a genderqueer person who like didn't even know that genderqueer existed yeah. until like, seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I just was like moving through the world, this lost soul of like, where, who, where do I fit in? And like, for so, for such a long chunk of that, I identified as a lesbian because that's what I thought I was yeah. and felt shame around that. Not because it's, there's anything wrong with being a lesbian, but because of the stigma that you were talking about and, yeah. and also how deeply I am not a woman and deeply I'm mm-hmm. not a lesbian. It's just, it's so, it's so complicated, the layers of all of it. It's just yeah. so deep. It's so, so deep. It really is. And there's just like so many privilege intersections also that like make it make it very hard to to parse out. And also, um, I think I think I was I was talking about this to, to, to some colleagues recently, but like, even the act of desiring something as a person assigned female at birth is like, sometimes a radical act, because we are not not taught to be like the the subject who desires who wants who pursues we're taught to be like the the object who like is desired who is pursued who like cultivates um their body around uh activating someone else's desire and so i think um sometimes figuring out sexual orientation can be very hard because you our desire is not um discussed or really even it doesn't really even come into play uh until um until sort of something happens to awaken it uh, not not for I don't mean to speak for everyone but I think for me that that uh that felt very true of just like wait I I can desire I can't just be like looking at myself as an undesirable object I can actually like turn the camera around and like start to want things in this world um I feel like that that also can make it more difficult to um, come out or to come into one's, um, you know, active desire. Yeah, that socialization shit really gets <laughs> really yeah. seeps its way. Um, it, does. it does. I something else that was really sticking out to me was um, like the paradigm shift of like thinking that it's really like that you have have this secret and that it's really fun. And you said weirdly sex, weirdly sexy and empowering, um, <laughs> which is such a beautiful, a description and two way to view queerness, because mm-hmm. for me, it was such a like, 
source of like shame and fear of like, because I was so for my whole life, just so aware of not, wasn't always like sexually attracted, but just like the knowing of when I have a partner, when I have a family, mine is going to look not like Mm. all of these other structures. It's going to look different and Mm. the shame around that. And so I, I love the, like the flip of the flipping of it's flipping the narrative on its head. And like, actually, no, this is like really empowering. Uh, Mm. That's really cool. No, I think, I mean, it, it, it didn't last for that long because I suddenly, I very quickly was then like, well, no girls want to sleep with me. So, you know, I can sit here like desiring all I want, but like, you know, but uh, that was also just because I went to a very, very small uh, high school who and didn't know any other queer people. But I think, yeah, I think it's it's a wonderful like private thing to have, and I think it's it's also a way that I, that the media can um, hopefully reach, especially like teenagers coming into their sexuality. Is like it can be a private secret thing that you love this TV show, or like you're on the internet, or you're making friends, or you're finding sort of a world. And I think. Um, also for me, there was just always this gender, gender shit going on that I sort of didn't work on until later where I was like, uh, you know, I was always like on chat rooms pretending to be a boy or like, if I looked in the, my, like at my life in the future, I just always wanted to be a boy. And I think, um, you know, I, I then got to college and my two of my best friends were trans men. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'm um that I am a boy I I in this in the same way but um but it is it's still something I'm like actively coming out about and working on uh for myself and and I think like the that sort of like brotherhood that I that I formed with with those those friends um also taught me a lot about um my own queerness and I think that that I went to Smith College which is a queer utopia or it was in 20 2009 when I when I arrived there um uh it, it's uh it has its problems but it's a I found it a wonderful place to be queer and a very accepting place of of different gender identities and different presentations of queerness um and and it, it sort of blew my world open in terms of uh what sexuality is and um how fluid it is and how uh how fun and and sexy it can be um but yeah. it was it was it was it was great i i miss it i miss it dear <laughs> um <laughs> i haven't thought about this in a very long time and i'm so happy you brought it up of pretending to be a boy in chat rooms oh, yeah. i did that so much and i forgot <laughs> i like i had that buried and now i'm like oh i 100% did that. It was such a like time period thing too. Cause I feel like now they're pr- probably, it's like all video chat or something, but like my can- my computer didn't have a camera. Like it was, yeah. Yeah. Mine didn't yeah. either. Um, so what do you think, what do you think it was about this? You said you formed a brotherhood with two trans men. What do you like, can you think about like specifically what it was like in the, the dynamic between like those friendships, like, in comparison to other friendships that you had with people of other gender identities? Was there something that was like resonant for you in that way? Yeah, I think, I think like the butch lesbian was always like the most stigmatized type of lesbian. And like, there was no, I mean, even on like the L word, which was a show that like mattered a lot to me, like you had Shane who was like 
so hot and like butch but also you know wore makeup and like uh never like pushed gender boundaries too hard for uh sort of um cis straight audience um so I really just like I had no representation I had no butch friends and uh or butch masculine trans I sort of mean that as a um a a word bubble um it, it was my word in high school um and then I think getting to Smith when I was 18 my first friend the person who moved me into my dorm room, who's in my short film in France, Michelle is a man's name. He's my best friend. Um, he, he was, you know, I fell in love with him. We also dated for a year. Um, but uh, I think that friendship, one, like it was the first time I'd been friends with someone who uh, was butch slash trans slash masculine of center slash, um, you know, on a, on a, on a spectrum of, um, masculinity uh and he was so I mean not only did he become my best friend I like watched him be so desired be comfortable in his body he'll you know if he listens to this he'll be like don't put words in my mouth but um (laughs) from my perception uh he was like what we called at Smith a b-doc big dyke on campus Mm. best term you could get nice uh at Smith yeah yeah very important um, you know, I think it, I think it, it, it crosses boundaries of, of gender presentation, but, um, you know, he was sort of a movie star to me and I was like, oh my God, you can live in a, a gender identity that's, um, you know, not cis, that's not femme, uh, and, and be desired and be cool and be, um, everything I, I sort of desired to be in in high school. I mean, I think that the thing about being at Smith uh, that was really interesting was that like, I noticed over my time there, and I wonder if it's changed since, you know, since I graduated many years ago, um, that like people who were masculine had more uh, social cachet and power. Um, Mm. And in a way, like there was a slight replication of the patriarchy going on in this, you know, historically women's college, which is a place where uh, no cis men uh, are allowed to be admitted. Um, and uh, that was a thing that was constant discussion among my friends and a thing that, you know, people were trying very hard to undo. Um, but I think for me as a person who, uh, who identified as uh, and presented as, as butch or masculine or now genderqueer non-binary, like, it was kind of an amazing thing to suddenly be like an object of desire to be, and to be um, just cool. And like that, that my, that who I was, was like not weird or disgusting or, you know, gonna cause like my high school friends to call me Dyke, like, but was something that like uh, was not only normal, but was like preferable. I don't know. Um, Or, uh, and I think that just, that just blew my mind. Um, and with a little bit of a false utopia uh, and, you know, not <laughs> how the rest of the world operates, but it was a very nice place to live for, for a little while. Yeah, that does sound nice. I, remember, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, to be desired as you are living as your authentic self is 
incredible. It's an incredible feeling because I remember before realizing I'm a genderqueer person and before top surgery and all like, uh, it just felt so wrong and like out of body, like in those moments of, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of when I would hook up with cis men of mm. like, cause that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And like, even after coming out as gay, I was like, well, this is too hard. So I'm just going to keep sleeping with men. And like, just, you know, yeah. I was a, a big, a mess because I didn't understand or know what I was doing and just like felt lost and like, didn't give a fuck about anything. So I just was like, yeah, oh, sleep with anyone. And it was so miserable. And then to like have had top surgery and come into my own and then be desired by someone is like, chef's kiss it's chef's kiss yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's like wow if if I had known that that was possible when I was 15 like I would have yeah maybe gone gone about things a little bit differently or just loved 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 myself a little bit more because I think that's a thing that that um you kind of can't get back is like all of those years of like negative self-talk and of putting your yourself through um through just like terrible moments in your head um and 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 potentially in real life too uh but i think the the self um hatred is the hard is often the hardest thing to undo um and a thing that like is so insidious especially especially when you're growing up um and hopefully is a thing that our you know up and coming young queer people get to experience a little less of yeah i hope yeah, it's um that's something that I'm actively working on is like being kind to young dubs and being like, listen, you were doing the best you could with the information yeah. you had and survival yeah. mode, you know, it's like you're still here. Yeah. And because there were many moments when it was like, why am I here? This is awful. Yeah. This being, yeah. Bad, you know, and yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, you, you touched on this earlier and I think it's a perfect way to segue us a little bit um, around like this, I, this just like not having any representation or any kind of sense of um, seeing oneself in someone else to like gain that consent or permission to like exist. And um, I like was looking through all of your amazing work and you, um, you are, it's, you, you are so passionate about telling queer stories and queer history and, um, just curious, like if there are particular reasons why that's the route you have taken as a director and a writer, um, and just like give us a little bit of an insight and in, in your process around that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I I think representation isn't everything, and obviously, I think in a in a lot of ways, people have like overblown, you know, that that representation is the only thing we need. But at the same time, they're so there's so little representation of like, especially trans masculine and butch and masculine of center and gender queer people. Um, like still, I mean, there was when I was a teenager and there's like a little more now, but there really isn't much. And it's just like not being able to see yourself in any way mm-hmm. um, is so demeaning because you're just like, wait, do I, do I even exist? Um, and obviously there were, I mean, there were, there was queer representation. I mean, I'm like Clea Duvall and, but I'm a cheerleader, like, you know, come on. Um, But at the same time, like, I think, 
uh, as a teenager, at least there was just always this one, no actors were out. Yeah. Um, and so it was always like, oh, well, that person isn't really queer. Like you might've read them as butch, but like they're, they're normal. Like, um, I mean, we, we all, you know, know that there have been many, many famous closeted actors, uh, from the beginning of Hollywood. Um, but I think that like, it's not, yeah. So what I'm saying is it's like, it's about representation, but it's also about like visibility in the media, just generally like both in fiction and, and, and off screen. And I want to tell queer stories, you know, to fill that gap. Um, it's also like, they're just the only stories that are of interest to me. Um, when I sit down to write, um, they're the ones that come out. I'm like super passionate about queer history, um, partially because it's it's like I'm a nerd and like weaving, uh, we've been around from the beginning of time and like weaving ourselves back into the narrative is really interesting to me. There's been like a lot of talk around like the like bodice ripping, like queer, white queer stories that like take place in the past, but are sort of make believe. And like that that's a little less interesting to me than like actual queer history. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I mostly want to like place gender, queer and non-binary and trans people in, in all types of stories and in stories of our past, just so that like we can see ourselves uh we can see sort of our history and our lineage and like our ancestors um as well as our you know our queer friends I think there's just like still so much of a discourse around like this being a fad or this being you know crazy identity politics gone awry when you know I read I love reading queer history books and you read stories about trans people you know the turn of the century who are describing their like gender dysphoria and their experience of gender in like the exact same terms that I I might. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just, it's something I'm super passionate about. And um, I am luckily working on TV show right now that we'll be doing a lot of, a lot of uh, weaving queerness into a historical context and um, it's, it's something that I hope just like expands and becomes popular uh, across media because we just, we can't have enough of it because, and there's, there's just, there's just a little of it right now. Yeah. Still. That sounds exciting. I can't wait to know yeah. what it is. Um, it's a league of their own for Amazon, which oh, well, know, there you go. A classic gay movie that, you know, I always thought was gay and then, you know, watched again recently and was like, okay, there's no overt gay stuff in this movie, but we just all knew when we watched it, you know? Yeah. I really did too think that it was, I always thought it was gay. (laughs) And then my roommate and I just, we rewatched it this summer. And first of all, it holds up. It's hilarious and it's not gay, but it's so good. (laughs) It's so good. And it, I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's gayness in its, in its blood, maybe just not on the surface. Um, Mm, mm. But yeah, this, this version will be much more queer and uh, also joyful and um, hopefully uh, reflect the, the, everything that's great about the movie, but also bring it, bring it forward in terms of representation um, in a way that's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um. When you when you think about representation versus 
visibility? What, like, what is the, what's the difference to you? Yeah. I mean, I think like having queer characters that like are just in TV shows or like in the media without, you know, coming out stories necessarily being central to them, but that just exist. I mean, that's like, for me, I don't, I actually don't know the difference between representation and visibility. Um, I haven't thought about it, but I think on, on one end of the spectrum, I'm imagining like queer people just being everywhere in all forms of media and not talking about queerness. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm talking about it in that, like, that's who the characters are, but not necessarily telling like direct stories around, you know, our typical like coming out narratives or trauma narratives, but are, but you know, like put gay people in rom-coms and, you know, I just have their story be about falling in love. And then on the other end, I am really interested in like queer stories that are about queer issues that are about being queer, that are political, that are new takes on coming out stories. And I think we need both. And I don't think that like, we need to necessarily privilege one over the other, but I think that like, they're kind of have two different agendas and both Mm -hmm. agendas are really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I know for me, like, I try and write both. Like, I just wrote a feature that's about a trans man. It's based on my short film, but it's about a trans man and his dad. And it's, like, very much about gender and about parents and kids and coming out and kind of what happens after you come out. Um, and then I'm also writing, like, a very silly, like, half-hour pilot that's where just the lead characters are all lesbians. And that's not really... it, like it's not really important to the plot other than the fact that like, that's just who's who the characters are. So mm-hmm. I think, I think both are, are, are useful and achieve different things. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so I wasn't able to watch in France, Michelle is a man's name, but I saw the trailer and then I saw an interview about it. Um, oh. And I, uh, something you said, which was what comes, uh, what come, wait, I did not, what comes after the coming out story and like we we desperately want to be understood by and under understood by and understand our parents. Um, and then the best part it was they tragically fall short with even with so much love. Yeah. That's like such a beautiful way to describe that. <laughs> I mean, I oh God, I mean, I think this film in particular, like there are very many real and painful and useful stories that need to be told about parents who like just blatantly like don't accept their trans kids or their queer kids. And, you know, there's a rift and there's um, just obvious misunderstanding, but so much of the time, at least in, in, in 2021 with, with, with my friends and with myself, like, it's just a lot more complicated and funky and messy than that. Um, and it's also a process uh, yeah. that that exists long after coming out of like um, trying to uh, trying to explain what what one's experience is. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's a universal experience, even for straight cis people of just like, wow, my parents are um, are missing something in terms of how I see the world. But I think especially for us, it it can be such a a gap uh there can be such a gap between like love and intention and like misunderstanding and hurt um and it's like 
very, I would say like 99% of the time, uh, the intentions are good. And that does not mean that the, um, the results are, are what we had hoped. So it's a thing that like, I'm fascinated by uh, in my own life and trying to tell stories about without solving them because I just, uh, I think it's a thing we all experience in a way. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I am, I just, I was in Texas with my parents this past fall and we had so many of these conversations around like intent versus impact and like them, like really, really just with all love and all best of intentions still falling short. And it's, you know, I, I, and me trying to be patient with them and like put on my educator hat and like really try to like bring them into, to my world so they can understand what I'm talking about. It's really hard. And, um, it's something that I've had to work through of just like, I guess like shifting my expectations of my parents of like, you know, as a, for me, like thinking, growing up, thinking my parents were like the, like the heroes, the hero of my story and they know everything and they are, they are superhuman. Like don't even think of them as human. And then as, as I got older and like life, you know, figured it out, like, oh, like, no, they're mortal and (laughs) they're human and they're flawed. And that was really hard thing to come to terms with. And especially around this, like around them understanding all of the different facets of queer, gender, queer, trans, all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also like very hard to explain to like cis people who haven't thought about, haven't had to think about gender that like everything they understand about gender was constructed by society. Like it's a sort of, um, yeah, earth, it can be an earth shattering moment and it can be something, something that's very hard, especially because so much of what like we know about gender, we learned about gender is passed on from them. And like, yeah, unintentionally for the most part. Um, but, uh, it can be very hard to like kind of confront that legacy, um, without, you know, without making someone feel like they're in, you know, the matrix and suddenly they wake up and they're like, wait, this was all, this was all fabrication, but you know, I love the matrix as a story. I've never seen it. So that's on my list of things to see. (laughs) Great. Great. And, and the, um, Bukowski sisters have now said that it's a trans story and that was always their intention behind it. So I'm just like, it's beautiful. (laughs) They're so cool. I wonder what, what I would have thought of it if I would have seen it before understanding my own identity, if it would have spoken to me in a way. Yeah, I was obsessed with it. I also had a, I have a very obsessive personality, as is clear. I, I become obsessed with movies. I have lots of Matrix posters. Um, then when when I yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was just like, and then when I like understood that it was a trans story, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I also have a a bit of a like an obsessive pattern when it comes to like if I love a a show or something I'm like I am in it to win it I saw fun home like six times on Broadway and I was like let me see it again (laughs) oh yeah me too I feel the same way I like become just obsessed with tv shows and will watch them like over and over and over again and I'm just like this is the best thing and if anyone says this isn't good like I will fight them um 
I do the same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So if you could give yourself a piece of uh, like your younger self, a piece of advice, what would that advice be? I think it would probably be like, don't try so hard to be a girl. Mm. Like just cause I spent so many years like trying and failing at like being, I mean, so many years being like full, like my, my years in high school and just, if I could, I wish I could take that away for myself and be like, mm. you know what the like person you were before puberty, you can still be, um, yeah. Gosh, that, that would probably, that, that's a thing that I like spent a lot of time trying that I, I wish I could, I could tell myself to, to let go of. Um, I'm sure I learned things from it, but it, it also caused a lot of, a lot of damage. Yeah. I sometimes am like, I'm always trying to be like, what did I, like, I literally have a tattoo that says learn from everything. Cause I just like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, what can I learn from this? Uh, but then sometimes it's just okay to like, be like no that fucking sucked and I hated it and I didn't want to learn something from it it just sucked no sometimes it's yeah I'm like it's okay to have regrets sometimes yeah sometimes you're just like I don't want to yeah I love that though I agree we should try we should try to learn from everything we can sometimes uh not always easy but no it's a nice goal it is um all right so I'm gonna move us into our the like last portion of the interview which is a lightning round of questions um, Great. So the first two seasons, I had all of these like either or questions. And many, many times I was called in and called out by guests of how binary that was. And so <laughs> I have decided to move away from the binary and have ask open ended questions, uh, but still lightning round. So um, name your crayon. Crayon? Yeah. Oh, did I say it weird? No, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like my hearing. <laughs> oh, like crayon. name name my crayon like my favorite one or if I was going to be a crayon and I was going to name myself however you interpret the question name my crayon I I, Clementine Ooh, nice favorite time of day 7 30 a.m favorite current queer media representation I'm obsessed with Veneno on HBO Max Mm. I've seen it twice it's incredible everyone watch it amazing but not the dubbed version the spanish subtitles hmm. that's a good tip. the dubbed version's bad <laughs> um a song that makes your heart sore um i was listening to wild heart by uh stevie nicks this morning and i was it was soaring mm. it was soaring beautiful great song um favorite way to travel um I love I love airplanes because I like going long distances. Uh, I don't I don't love being on them, but I just love how short it takes for you to to go so far. Yeah, definitely. Favorite quote. Ooh, favorite quote. Um, this is the one I always say. Uh, I always think of. It's like one that sticks in my head because it was my my grandfather's favorite quote, and he was like one of the most important people to me in the world, and it was from Virginia Woolf's to the lighthouse. And uh, one of the characters says, even the stones under our feet will outlive Shakespeare. And it just puts, um, it just like puts, uh, 
my work and, and human time into perspective. And I don't know, I have to think about it. Oh, that's wild. That's great. Um, okay, so there actually is one binary question because I have to know everyone's preference, which is bagels or donuts? Bagels, come on. Okay. I'm a Jew. <laughs> I love a bagel. New York Nothing Jew. Nothing beats a bagel. No. Had a bagel this morning. It was awesome. Uh, so Philly, Philly has, has good bagels. I was just going to say, Philly has good bagels? Question mark? It has good bagels. It has, it has very good Middle Eastern food. Very good Israeli, like Middle Eastern food uh, and people like doing their own fancy take on the bagel. So I had this like very mm. cool Zatar um like sesame seed covered long flat weird ass bagel today was great Mm. new york still has the best bagels and my i grew up next to the best bagels in new york which is absolute bagels on 108th and broadway no better bagels in all of new york city than absolute bagels on 108th street wow i would i would i would fight to the death over that one next time i'm up there i'm gonna give it my trainer's on like 110 and uh I don't know, Amsterdam or something. So it's like not yeah. so far. I'm going to try it next time I'm there. Absolute bagels. The, um, the garlic schmear is like, you can't, you can't breathe on anyone for a day, but it's so delicious. And all the bagels are incredible. It's... Mm. Well, I'm not breathing on anyone at all. So that's okay, perfect. Good. Good. So you just, <laughs> your, your mask is going to smell like garlic, but it'll be fine. <laughs> Great. Um, and this was so lovely. Thank you so much for, for sharing and for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.